whom shall I send? Shalom! Thank you for joining us for the Sermon of the Fifth Sunday of Epiphany, February 6th, 2022, from Christchurch, Jerusalem. The ancient calling of Jesus to discipleship and to represent the good news of God is irrevocable. Reverend Aaron Imey reminds us that the call of discipleship extends to us today. We should answer Jesus' call with all humility and courage. Aaron Imey starts us off with a word of prayer. Before we worship the Lord by reading and studying his word, there's a short prayer called the Collect, which prepares us to hear the word of the Lord. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our first reading is from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, beginning at the first verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants, 
until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leaf stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. These are the words of the Lord. The second reading is from the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel portion from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Please stand as we honor the teachings of the Messiah. Good news according to Luke. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to be put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, He fell at Jesus' knees and he said, 
Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had just taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and they followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So we are in the season of Epiphany, as we've mentioned, and you've seen probably on, uh, on the board, the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany. For those that might not be familiar with church calendars, Epiphany is one of those times, that it sits between uh, Christmas and Lent, and Lent is based on where Easter falls, so Epiphany is actually one of those seasons of the church year that actually has different lengths. And so sometimes it can be short, it can be five weeks long, sometimes it can be really long, it can be nine weeks. And because Passover and Easter are late this year, it's uh, eight weeks of Epiphany, of the revelation, of the, the manifest. And um, for those that get involved in church calendars, they're not evil things, um, not inherently good things either, but their time is something very precious to the Lord. And it does give you a rhythm of prayer, a rhythm of reading Bible, a rhythm of coming to the Lord, of tracking with all of the teachings and counsel of God. And so in some cases, I'm really thankful for what the calendar gives us. On Wednesday, does anybody know what special event occurred on Wednesday, apart from the sun rising and setting, which is absolutely fantastic? Or was it somebody's birthday, was it? It was the presentation of Jesus in the temple. So 40 days after, just according to the Torah, the words of Moses, uh, Jesus' very devout, pious, Jewish parents took their baby to do exactly what Moses had told them to do. And why is that marked on the calendar? That's a really good thing because it reminds us Jesus is Jewish. It's not something some people like to think about, but it's marked. And here, a very devout, pious family is what Jesus is going to grow up in. And when you sit and gather on Wednesdays and you read through that portion, you discover you know, all kinds of amazing things. Your prophets are around. You know, we were always told prophecy had ceased. Well, who's Anna then? And she's sitting in the temple. She'd been there a very long time. So everybody knew this girl was a prophet. And she comes from the tribe of Asher, which apparently is not supposed to exist by this stage. But apparently it did. It's a good shock. It teaches us something. And then, of course, you have Simeon's beautiful words, which were, which were broadcast here on some, on some stands uh, for quite some time, that I have seen your salvation a light to the Gentiles. They were going to be included, they always were, but also the glory of Israel. Good words. Here we are now in the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany, and we have um, an incredibly powerful vision from Isaiah. Oh my gosh. And the calling of the disciples, and I'm sure you can see 
in the theme that this Sunday wants us to think about. It wants to think about the call, about answering the call. Here I am, send me. It's nice to be called, don't you think? It's nice to have the honor of being able to be a sent one of the Lord. Some people really wrestle actually with their calling. I've discovered that uh, in my time here in Israel, more and more people would like to know what their calling is. And they spend a lot of time worrying about it. Because who wants to get it wrong? I mean, seriously, the Lord called you to go to India. Well, what are you doing here then? It's a, it's a, we, we do wrestle with great thing to wrestle with, by the way. Not something we should take lightly. But uh, for a lot of people who come and they would say, Aaron, I don't know what my calling is. I say, well, maybe I don't either. But I would like to say that um, Paul did give us some words of encouragement. He said the gifts and the calling of God are... Right. He doesn't take it away. That's good news. You know, God doesn't go, Aaron, I need you to go to Jerusalem. And Aaron ums and ahs, and I'm not really sure, and I think I'll stay in Australia. Maybe you'll give me some beach ministry here in Sydney. This would be great. And the Lord goes, yep, you're right. I don't know what I was thinking. You're an idiot. I'm going to choose that guy. No, he's the Lord. Very, very smart. And so if he chose you to do something, it's the right call. If you don't get it, it's okay. It's the same call tomorrow. He hasn't changed his mind. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That applies to us as individuals. That applies to us as nations. And that applies to the calling of Israel. And may they fulfill their calling. So let's look at, the, at, our, at our readings today on this call. And um, Isaiah, wow, that is a, an amazing reading. I saw the Lord. Incredible. Please describe him. It was so amazing. It was so powerful. It was so awestruck that the only thing Isaiah could talk about was his clothing. Which is an interesting question. What are you doing with clothing? But that was the tangible thing that the prophet could hold on to. This is the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Can't look at him. But the thing I could see was his robe. And it was everywhere. God is everywhere. And these, these, it's interesting little um, first opening sentence. Uh, talks about King Uzziah, this reasonably good king who unfortunately... Uh, thought he could be a king and a priest and in Chronicles decided to take some incense and do something inappropriate and uh, ended up getting um, I think leprosy was one of his issues but king and a priest not quite the way it's meant to be but here's a king and he's seating on his throne and he's incredibly powerful And around him are these angels, not just normal angels, seraphim. 
from the word srifa, which means burning. I mean, these angels are on fire. This is not this little little cherubim with a little harp, you know, or, or, or some nice guy showing up going, Mary, guess what? You're pregnant. I didn't do it. It's the Holy Spirit. Okay, you're going to have the Messiah. Nice, handsome men, little funny angels, burning dudes. They're on fire, and the first thing they do is they cover their eyes because even they can't see the Lord. How dare they? even though they're in his presence. The whole scene is amazing, and they call out, holy, 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 and these, these words are reflected, not just in the prophet here, but they are reflected in, in, in Revelation. And they enter our liturgy. They become words on our lips. Oh my gosh, our unclean lips. We get to say, holy, 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 every time we meet and gather and pick up our, our prayers. An Anglican bishop, what was his name? Reginald something, Reginald Heber. He wrote a, a, a hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. He, he reflected on, the, on Revelation 4 and, and 5. And this Kadosh, 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 this Holy, Holy, Holy is, is um, sometimes we often use it as a, as a, as a Trinitarian um, phrase. Well, it's a bit more than that, I think. It's a bit more too simple. It's only ever described in reference to God and how, how majestic he is, how powerful he is, how awesome he is, and how salvific he is. And so if you, if you happen to uh, be familiar with Yom Kippur prayers, don't worry, most of us are not, um, there's a prayer book for Yom Kippur, the Siddur for Yom Kippur, and as part of, your, part of the prayer life, when you get to the middle of the day, you say, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. And there's a little footnote, a little asterisk in the prayer book that says, if you'd like to continue praying, flip to the end, and there's the, the rest of the prayer. And if you do flip to the end, as I did one day, and thought, I wonder why it's got a little asterisk. The prayer was incredibly messianic. The prayer was Isaiah 53 and Psalm 72. Wow, when standing before the Lord, holy, 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 well, how are you holy? Start reading some of these messianic psalms. Very powerful. It was great. And here we have it also in, in, in the prophet. It's used in Revelation, and it's part of our prayer life, our active, active prayer life. God is holy. We are called also to be holy. A friend of mine did a teaching video a couple of weeks ago, and he said something very interesting. He said, holiness is not sinlessness. God will deal with our sin. He still wants us to be holy. Now, those two, in God's case, are intricately related. And how does our prophet handle his sin? He says, I am a man of unclean lips. How dare I even speak? And then an angel comes from an altar. There's an altar in heaven that's also nice and interesting to think about. And uses fire to atone and take his guilt away. Not a blood sacrifice. Also interesting. Lots of themes show up in this powerful heavenly scene. But God asks a question. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? 
Now, if, you'd, if I would probably been there, I would have gone, what about the burning dudes? <laughs> so, I mean, they're incredibly powerful. I mean, no one is going to ignore them, I don't think. If they show up, the first thing people can do is go, man, you're on fire. Speak, and I shall listen. Isn't that interesting? Whom shall I send? It's not up to angels to share the gospel. Whose job is it? It's ours. Too often we, we, we meet people who, who say, God doesn't reveal himself to me. I don't believe in God. He's never shown me who that is there. Where's God? What should be my answer? I'm standing in front of you, sir. Let me tell you about him. Why can't you see him through me? When people say, I don't know where God is, should be asking ourselves, why not? What's the problem here? Somehow, for some reason, the Lord delights to reveal himself through humans. Sometimes through a nation. Now, that's a very interesting thought. I remember when I was a kid, I used to think, you know, why don't the Lord just write his name up in the sky? I'm here. Okay, you're there. Great. Now we're all believers in Jesus. But for some reason, the best plan is a partnership with heaven. Whom will go for us, says the Lord. And then a man of unclean lips, who was honest enough to say so, says, I'll do it. I'll go. And uh, I don't normally do the personal sharing thing uh, from the pulpit. I would like to leave that to my American brothers and sisters uh, to do. <laughs> but every, every time it's my turn to preach, which is an honor, by the way, it's an absolute honor to be able to stand up in Jerusalem, of all places, and preach. But it's also really scary. And so every morning, when it's my turn, I get up at 5 o'clock, and uh, I go sit down, I get all my little notes and my, all the things that during the week that I've thought about and prepared about and sort of arrange them in what I hope is a nice flowchart. And I get the Bible out again to read it one more time in case I've missed something. And uh, the first thing I, I do is I, I pray. And I use these words. I say, dear Lord, I am a man of unclean lips. How dare I even stand up and open your word? But your people are coming into your presence and they need to hear your voice. So please, talk. And I write out my little flowchart. Going to say this, going to say this, going to say this. This is where, where we're going. And uh, I pray and I, and I have that trust that the Holy Spirit is, is going to speak. So whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Well, why doesn't God? Why doesn't an angel? It's us. And so we see in Paul's teaching, who shared the gospel? He says, I did. Somebody gave it to me. I'm giving it to you. Here's what we believe. Do what I say. It's us. 
Now, there's no force in this request. God doesn't say, Aaron, go to Jerusalem. It's a, it's a, it's a request. But the first thing we do is in all humility, we admit who we are. Fall on our knees. Or in Simon Peter's case, please go away from me. Let's have a look at our calling of these disciples. So in chapter 5 of Luke, we see that uh, uh, we get the geography of the place, the lake of the Gennesaret. It's an interesting thing. Why does he call it the Lake of Galilee? Luke is an interesting author, and as a gospel, this is the the book that we're reading this year. We're in um, uh, year C, and so we'll be studying and looking at all the teachings of Luke. Mixed in with a little bit of John sometimes. Um, Luke is so often given as the only Gentile author of the, of the Bible um, because, you know, we just really just got to have one. Uh, can we please have some Gentile write something? There is absolutely no evidence he was a Gentile. Right? There's none. <laughs> in fact, the uh, Greek Orthodox who have been doing Christianity for quite some time now, um, they, they have the tradition that actually he's, a, he's actually a disciple. He's one of the 70 disciples. And um, the Gospel of Luke does um, portray that he is intimately knowledgeable of the t- topography. He gets all the geography right. So here he calls the lake a limne which is a sweet water lake, which is what the Sea of Galilee is. All the rest of the Gospels call it something different. He, and he calls it the, of the Gennesaret. There's a special region, Gene Gardens, of the Saret princess. The, garden of the gardens of the princess. He's like, why would you call this area the gardens of the princess? Who named it that? Well, most likely it was the Maccabees. You know those really nice heroes who, who dedicated the temple and then killed lots of people? Um, they went up into the Galilee, which was predominantly Gentile under the, before their rule, and um, sort of either mass-converted everybody or killed them. And then they migrated people to go and populate the area, which is how Jesus' family, who's normally from the tribe of Judah, is back down here, yes? That's why they're living up there. And obviously one of these Maccabean princesses, they sort of replanted their agriculture and started re-farming and made it very beautiful. Uh, And there's an area that was attached for that. And if you go to the Galilee, it's still incredibly fertile. Banana plantations, avocado trees, I mean, you name it, we got it. And, um, And fishing was a really big deal too. And the fishing industry was a nice mix because the fish, there were kosher fish as well as non-kosher fish in the same, same lake. Isn't that a nice picture of Jews and Gentiles together? And, um, and people would fish and they would create a fishing industry. And it wasn't that individuals would often do it, people would do it in partnerships and fishing guilds. In fact, our text actually shows that many of these disciples actually knew each other. They weren't complete strangers. You know, they weren't sort of Jesus said, hey, Simon, come and follow me and let me introduce you to a complete stranger that you're going to share the rest of your life with. Now, these were, these were people that they knew and they were friends, probably. This is a nice, nice thought. That sometimes when we're called, we're called with our friends. Not always had called to go be alone. In fact, we're rarely called to be alone. 
We're called to be us. And we see from Luke, who seems to know exactly the Jewish tradition of sitting down to teach. Jesus is teaching. People are excited. They want to hear the word of God. Excellent. And uh, Jesus looks and he sees some boats, goes up to one. Can I use it to do some teaching? Now, this is probably not the first time that the disciples have heard of Jesus' teaching. They probably have listened to him before, probably know what he's doing. And they go, yep, I've heard you before. It's going to be good. Take my boat. Sits down to teach. That's the Jewish tradition. Stand up to read the Bible, sit down to teach. We somehow have flipped it all the other way. Now you guys all get to sit, and we get to stand. But if I, one day I might just actually come out and just sit on, a, sit on a chair. But it does reflect, again, that Luke is intimate with all the customs and teachings of this land. And he teaches. Jesus teaches. What does he teach? Well, the text doesn't say and I wish he did. I mean, there are so many times in the scriptures where it says, and Jesus unpacked the Psalms and the prophecies. And that's all it says. And you're like, mm-hmm. but But the, the people are hungry for the word of God. A lot of people are hungry for the word of God. What does Jesus teach? Well, I think Luke also reflects on this because... Jesus says in chapter 4, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns, because that was why I was sent. So what is Jesus teaching? Most likely the good news of the kingdom of God. God is king. He's ruling and reigning. And his kingdom is expanding. And after teaching, you get the miracle. Cast out your nets. Well, we've already done it, Lord. Like, he actually shows that, 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 they, that uh, um, Peter talks to him, Simon talks to him with a sign of respect. Master, Adoni, we've been fishing all night. We, we, we kind of know what we're, what we're doing, but um, just because you said, we'll give it another go. And they catch this incredible bounty, and they know that this is a miracle. And then Peter describes a, something, a, a good characteristic about him. He's humble. He realizes that he's sinful. He realizes he's standing in front of someone a little bit bigger than him. And he says, can you please go away? Just like Adam in the garden, once he recognized his sin, I've got to hide from God. I can't be in his presence anymore. It's sad. And that's not the way God wants it but it does give us humility from our heroes. And one of our first responses when we hear the call of God is to be humble. Not to take it in a prideful way. I've heard from the Lord. Uh, God is speaking to me. No, don't get pride is not, 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 should not be part of our armory. In all humility, we understand who exactly we are. We are people of unclean lips. And yet, it is the delight of the Lord to call us to be his witness. And then, for all of us, go and catch fish. It is a 
call that perhaps we don't always quite understand. Why doesn't God do it? Well, he does, but he does it through us. It's a partnership with heaven. It's an incredible gift. And looking at what Isaiah did when he knew his, his guilt, we look at what Peter did when he says, uh, uh, go away from me because I am a sinner. I am a sinful man. That's what Peter declares. Then as part of our response, as our answer, as servants of the Lord, as disciples, is in all humility, is to confess our sin. It's one of the uh, parts of our liturgy is this constant reminder that we don't always live up to God's expectations. Despite the call. But we also have the assurance that we are indeed forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. And we are told not to be afraid. Nearly every angel, every time they show up, they say, please don't be afraid. The Lord, don't be afraid. To Joshua, who's about to invade Canaan, don't be afraid. Brothers and sisters, fear is the greatest enemy of the gospel. It's certainly not Satan. Has the devil been able to stop the gospel going around the world? No. Does that mean he's powerless? No. (laughs) He's a roaring lion and he's hurt many of our brothers and sisters. In fact, they are dying all the time. And we need to continue to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. But we can't have fear because that will stop the gospel. When our unbelieving friends say, I don't believe in God, God never speaks to me. Maybe it's because we were too afraid. Let's have a heartfelt look at our witness to the Lord. And then like the disciples who are going to be called, we need to, in humility, prepare. We don't know everything. The disciples didn't know everything. They spent time with Jesus. So they studied, they prepared, and they did their best. Well, I hope they did. To look like him. That's our task. That as we prepare to answer our call, as we do answer our call, then we've got to model our lives on the teaching and life of the Messiah himself. The good news, brothers and sisters, that this world needs, and it needs it, keeps trying to cancel the truth, cancel people from speaking. The enemy's very crafty. But we have to be brave. Brave enough not to be silent. Brave enough to speak and to share. Brave enough to be humble and admit who we really are. Brave enough to acknowledge the free gift that we have been given through the Messiah of salvation. Brave enough to to acknowledge that we have the Holy Spirit and that we can be in the presence of the living God And brave enough to know that we're not alone. We're doing this together. And one of the weapons we have in our armory is another thing called the sending. And it's what we call the Eucharist today. Mass. Mass is a Latin word for to send. Christ mass. The sending of Christ. We gather. We refresh. 
we hear the scriptures, we rearm, we, we cast off our fears, we, we confess our sins, we remind ourselves that, yeah, okay, I'm a man of unclean lips, but you are the living God. And you fill your temple, surrounded by burning ones, and I am not alone. We can eat, we can drink in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and then we go out. We are sent. We are all called. So let's answer the call. The Lord delights to walk with us. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you and blessings from the city of the king.